This morning we have Ed and Kim Nye with us. We have been supporting Ed and Kim going back to the early 2000s in the work that God has called them to. Uh, we, uh, I think, jumped on board early uh, in their support because their heart resonated with our heart at Mount Hope, which is to go to some of the places in the planet and the world that uh, are the least reached places. That have the le- and when we say least reached at Mount Hope, what we mean is they have the least opportunity, in fact, many of them no opportunity if someone does not go, to hear about the gospel and to hear what Jesus has done. So we heard Ed and Kim were going someplace that was the least reached, and we knew that was our heart, and so we started to support them early on. Uh, God has uh, rearranged their ministry a little bit, and he's going to tell you more about what they're involved in now as they train more people to go there. Um, but he's got a wonderful word for us. We're glad to have he and Kim with us today. Would you welcome Ed Nye as he comes to bring the word today? All righty. Well, my wife said uh, when, he was, when Pastor was talking about how long you all have supported us, I guess we're seniors. So <laughs> we'll be there. Um, yeah, when uh, I shared in the first service this morning, when we first came to Mount Hope, actually, Mount Hope reached out to us. I'm, I was given it more thought, like, how did this all happen? Because I'd never been up to the Boston area, really, at that time, and now I've been a number of times to talk to you all. And, and uh, you reached out to us because we were going, um, uh, at that time, God was leading us uh, to go to Iran and to serve there. And, um, and you were looking for people who were serving among the unreached. And so you reached out to us and started supporting us before we even came here and spoke. So it's been a long partnership that's gone back many years. And when we first went out, uh, all, all we could talk about was what we hoped that God would do. And it's, it's very unusual. Um, it's not unusual at all, actually, with these years of experience. But it's very strange that uh, God did absolutely nothing that we expected, but he did so much more than anything we could have ever expected. Uh, so it's that way whenever we start walking out in obedience to God. So he does, sometimes he does things for us just to get us moving in the right direction, and then he makes it clear to us as we follow him and are obedient to him step by step. You know, the scripture says, uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And sometimes we want a halogen lamp, you know, illuminating, you know, the next two, three miles down the road. But God says, no, I just give you enough light for the next step. Um, and that's a little bit of what I'm going to talk to you about today, because uh, I want to talk to you about our extraordinary God. Our extraordinary God uses ordinary people to, to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. I want to tell you a story about uh, Jim and Lisa. Jim and Lisa were a young couple, and as I go through uh, some of these slides, you'll see that the people on them are not the actual pictures of the people that I'm talking about, and it's not their actual names, uh, but they are real people, and they are real stories. I'm not making it up, I promise. So Jim and Lisa, are uh, they, they were a normal couple. Um, they uh, lived their, uh, they had their whole lives ahead of them, and uh, God called them to serve him overseas among the unreached. Um, uh, they both, uh, he was uh, just a, a, a boy from uh, Kansas, 
uh, you know, right in the heart of the Midwest there, Kansas City Chiefs fan, don't hold that against them, and um, uh, her dad and mom still serve uh, overseas as missionaries in, in Southeast Asia, and um, tremendous uh, men and uh, women of God, but God called them to go to uh, the country of Turkey, uh, where there are so few believers that uh, most Turks go their entire lives without, forget about not hearing the gospel, most Turks go their entire lives without ever meeting a Christian. Uh, one in 20,000 roughly um, Turkish uh, people are, are Turkish believers, so uh, 99.997 or some weird, you know, something at that point, it just becomes ridiculous. Uh, and so God called them there, and they arrived in Istanbul, Turkey, a city of 20 million, where there was um, a handful of believers, maybe 1,000 or 2,000 believers, and, and maybe a handful of churches and pastors. And, and Jim became a respected member of his Muslim community, um, as uh, they dug into language and learning culture. They also dug into... Um, uh, they, they also dug into the, the church, the fledgling church that was there as best they could. And they, stay, they could have stayed in the city of Istanbul and had a, a great career, missionary career their whole lives because they really focused on learning the language. And, um, and they did that really well. And so a lot of the believers that were there encouraged them to stay in Istanbul because the need was so great, 20 million people. They said, uh, why don't you stay here? And they said, well, we're, God's calling us to another city, to a city where there are no believers. And they said, but there's such a need here. They said, yes, but there are at least some believers here in Istanbul, whereas in the, this, these other cities all throughout Turkey, there's no believers, there's no churches, there's no, who's going to tell them? So they left uh, what they became comfortable in in Istanbul, and they settled in a small city. Uh, I won't tell you the name of the city, because it is a small city, and uh, <laughs> it's not hard to identify the Americans in that small city, because there were only two. Um, and uh, they, uh, they, it was for the former Antioch Pisidia from the Bible. And um, there was no believers, no churches for centuries there. And they dug in and they, he, uh, they, they began sharing Christ openly. They shared Christ with thousands of people uh, through his work at a local university. Um, he was able to share with uh, his students who were interested. Uh, she shared with the women that she was connected with. And, and, and they were part of the community. They had three children by this time. And um, all of them, you know, born while they were serving in Turkey. And so they, uh, they, they just kept on at it. And for years, there was just no fruit. Nobody was responding. They weren't rude or they weren't hostile mostly. They just weren't really interested. Um, occasionally, there were times when miracle of miracles, people would respond to the gospel and begin following Jesus. And Jim and Lisa would eagerly disciple them and their family and help them grow in their new faith. And, and then they would get persecuted or they would get uh, uh, threatened. And one by one, these people would turn their backs on God. So those were the most painful moments of Jim and Lisa's life over there. After nearly a decade of serving in this city with little observable fruit, about, uh, you know, you can imagine that there were times when they despaired of ever seeing a church planted in this city. Like, God, what are you doing? What did you call us to? Um, then something began to change about two or three years ago. They were able to disciple a family that did not turn their back on their faith in Christ. 
And then that one family became two as they began to share their faith with others. And that two became several. And these formed and established a couple of house churches in the city. And they began to multiply. And then as that began to happen, Jim and Lisa heard the voice of Jesus who told them, your job is done here, time to prepare to move on. Well, you might be thinking the same that thing that the local believers were thinking, which is, well, who's going to lead us? And Jim and Lisa turned to the group and they said, the same Holy Spirit that is in us is in you, so you answer your own question, who is going to lead you? And they, they turned to the Lord and they sought God. And surprisingly for that culture, as the, it is in many cultures around the world, rather than choosing the, uh, the eldest believer among them, which is what you would normally do, is you turn to the oldest person and you would make them the leader. They didn't do that. They recognized that the hand of God was on one young man. And they said, this man God has ordained and called to be our pastor. And they chose him. And that church, I can tell you, is still thriving, still multiplying, and still growing. Amen? I heard, yeah. I heard from uh, Jim and Lisa just a few weeks ago, and they, they uh, uh, announced the new city. They've already landed in this new city in Turkey. Uh, it's even smaller than the city that they were in before. And uh, they've already established, they've got their house, they've established uh, what they're doing. You know, he's got a job down there, and they just bought their first speed the light vehicle. So um, we'd look forward to hearing, I don't think it's going to take a decade uh, in this new city, because God is doing great things. Because we have an extraordinary God who uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. By the end of this, you're going to be saying it with me, I hope. Um, I want to tell you about Claire. And Claire is a young single lady from the Pacific Northwest who grew up in a, uh, a, a middle-class Christian home. She always had a serious walk with the Lord. But until a few years ago, she never really felt called to be a missionary or serve God overseas until her mom went on a short-term trip to a Muslim country. And... Um, she recognized that uh, it was life-changing for her in many ways, but she also said, you know, it's, I'm, not, I'm not going overseas. That's not my call, but I recognize a call in my daughter, Claire. So uh, she, she encouraged Claire to go on a short-term trip to the same country and said, your life will change. And so Claire, after a lot of pressure from her mom and dad and a lot of pressure, actually her mom enlisted our aid to get her, her daughter to go. And, uh, and so we put what pressure we could on her, but I mean, it's her mom. Her mom has more influence than we did, we hope. And she went overseas and she had, went on a short-term trip. And that short-term trip turned into an internship of a few months. And that internship of a few months turned into a year, and that one year turned into two years. And while she was there, she just, her heart was just broken and also filled with love at the same time for the people that surrounded her. She really dug into the culture. She really dug into the language. And she shared with everybody that she knew. And she really connected with the young ladies that were her age and uh, early 20s, I think, when she went over there. And, um, and she began sharing, especially with this one young lady. God had really placed it on her heart, a local uh, Muslim girl. Um, and they struck up a friendship. 
And this young girl wanted to talk with Claire about spiritual things, but always stopped short of deciding to follow Jesus. So later on, that girl moved back to her home village uh, in the northeast part of the country where there were few, if any, believers in the entire region. Uh, but she kept in contact with Claire, and Claire kept praying for her. And then uh, two years ago this past summer, Claire traveled with a group of missionaries and sh a short-term team to the eastern part of the country, and they stopped in her friend's home village where she reconnected with her friend. And Claire, at that time, really pressed her friend to become a follower of Christ so that they could be sisters in truth. But the girl told Claire, I could never become a Christian. And what she meant was the pressures of society and her family were too much. Well, Claire continued to stay in touch with her friend and continued praying for her and continued asking her in different ways to follow Jesus. Then one day, just as the country began to shut down because of COVID-19, Claire's friend called her. And she said, Claire... I am ready to follow Jesus, but I need you to come out to visit me and baptize me and my family, because her family was also ready to follow Jesus. So Claire, Claire ran hurriedly because she knew they were going to shut the country down. They had announced, this is, you know, on this date, we're going into lockdown, so get ready. So she ran to the airport, got on one of the last planes that she could to get out there, flew out to that part of the country, uh, baptized her, uh, uh, baptized this young lady, and, um, and then spent just a little bit of time there and turned around and came back home just as the country went into lockdown. Claire, um, Claire was just an ordinary... Well, now my computer has locked up. Claire was just an ordinary person that God had called to serve her uh, in, uh, in a very difficult place. And here's the interesting thing. This is what I love about Claire. A lot of people would never have given Claire much chance of leading anyone to the Lord. But she has led not just this young lady, but she has led a number of people to Christ. Um, and discipled still more. But you would look at Claire in that culture and you'd say, well, you're single in a culture that values people being married. And you're a woman in a culture that values men and treats women as second-class citizens. And you're black in a culture that views people of color as inferior and sometimes even less than human. And yet... God used her in tremendous ways. And here's the thing about Claire. She served God for however long he asked her to be out there. And when he was done and called her on to something else, she went back to the States and got married. I think I'll see Claire back overseas someday. But she was obedient to God in what he asked her to do while he asked her to do it and then moved on when he was done with that part of her life. God uses ordinary people to accomplish his what? Extraordinary. extraordinary purposes. Ordinary people are the norm. We like to think that the history of the church is littered with men and women of God um, that are just beyond our ability to, to meet their standards. We, we couldn't possibly be like them. 
How could we do anything great for God? The truth is actually quite the opposite. 1 Corinthians 1, 25 to 31 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Boy, amen. Amen. Nobody can write a run-on sentence like the Apostle Paul. (laughs) The truth is that God chooses to use ordinary people so that he can be glorified through their weakness. Moses was a failed rebel, a humble, now a humble shepherd with a speech impediment before God called him. King David was the youngest and smallest among all of his brothers. Peter was a lowly fisherman. Paul was a zealot and a persecutor of the church. But even after his Damascus Road experience, it was years before he saw any fruit. He had to turn to tent making to earn a living for himself. William Carey, the father of modern missions, was a humble preacher who fed his family not with his preaching, but as a shoemaker. D.L. Moody came to Christ at age of 18 and having had no greater than a fifth grade education and having never read the Bible. When it, while he accomplished many great things for God, he never received any formal Bible training. And that's the truth for the church at large. God uses ordinary people. He uses former prostitutes, addicts, doctors, business people, factory workers, teachers. Very few of the people that he uses would be people that you might look at and say, oh, they're going to be world changers. The greatest heroes of the faith that I know are the ones who are the humblest and most aware of their shortcomings. I know that Kim and I are very aware of our own shortcomings. When Kim and I moved to the field and then later to a position of leadership uh, uh, among the least reached people in central Eurasia, uh, you know, predominantly Muslim, we knew that to, to see God's kingdom come, we'd need, we would not need extraordinary people. There were at that time uh, nearly a billion people in our 10 countries who had never heard the gospel and likely never would. And most of them, like the Turks I talked to you about earlier, would probably never even meet a Christian. We believe strongly that many of these people would become followers of Jesus if they only heard the gospel because scripture says in Romans 10, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, we did not need extraordinary people. What we needed, what God needed was many ordinary people as possible. People with feet of clay, people with shortcomings who were willing to follow Jesus with all their imperfections, all their faults, and all their doubts, and allow God to work through them to accomplish his extraordinary purposes in their lives. We needed people who would trust that this extraordinary God would use them, ordinary people, to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. So we set about 
to speak to as many as would listen and ask them if maybe God was asking them to serve among people who had never had the privilege of hearing his name. Jim and Lisa answered the call. Claire answered the call. Many other people answered the call. In fact, when Kim and I first started out uh, on the field and in leadership even years later, um, there were only 20 adult missionaries not families, 20 adult missionaries serving among the 10 countries that we served. There was something like one missionary for every 20 million people. Now, these years later, a decade later, we see that there's more than 200 missionaries just from the U.S. and many others from other countries that have joined us in these 10 countries. And more importantly, we're beginning to see moves of God among many people, not a handful, but Thousands of former Muslims are now following Jesus, forming and establishing themselves into churches. And it's happening every week. We get more reports. Amen. It's not enough, but it's a start. It's a start. We believe that in our lifetime, and if not in our lifetime, at least in our children's lifetime, that Revelation 7, 9, and 10 will occur. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And this will be and is being accomplished by ordinary people like Kim and I, like Jim and Lisa, like Claire, and like you. You know, we all love a hero. Movies, television, books, comic books. They're all filled with stories of all manner of heroes, and it's not new. Uh, I remember reading in Genesis 6, it says uh, the mighty men, it talks about the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Even back in the early part of the book of Genesis, they were talking about, you know, the, the old heroes of, uh, of the world. We use the word hero to describe a person who does something that we think we cannot do. Someone who's almost superhuman. But the truth is that heroes themselves usually do not think of themselves in that way. Uh, Tell you the story of John Mice, who was a student at Seattle Pacific University when he was credited with saving countless lives in 2014. A gunman had entered Otto Miller Hall uh, and began shooting, killing one student and and wounding two others. And while the gunman, his name was Aaron Ybarra, reloaded his weapon, the 22-year-old engineering student, John Mice, took action. He was a volunteer monitor. He was sitting at a desk when this happened, began to happen, and he took out a can of uh, pepper spray that he had carried around just to be prepared, and uh, he sprayed the 26-year-old Yabara in the face with it and, and uh, then wrestled him to the ground. And other students joined him. And they were able to restrain him until the police came, uh, probably saving a, a good number of lives as a result. Uh, Mice was uninjured, but he was sent to the hospital for observation because of, obviously he was in shock. And of course, he was hailed across social media and news networks, and uh, they all wanted a piece of him. They all wanted an interview from him. They all wanted him to step forward and talk about this wonderful thing that he had done. But he and his family, they just kind of avoided, they did their best to avoid the limelight and stay out of it. And finally, uh, John released a letter 
through the university, and it said in part, I know I'm being hailed as a hero, and as many people have suggested, I find this word hard to accept. I'm indeed a quiet and private individual, and while I have imagined what it would be to save a life, I, I believed I'd never be put in that situation. It touches me truly and deeply to read online that parents are telling their children about me and telling them that heroes really do exist. However, what I find most difficult about this situation is the devastating reality that a hero cannot come without tragedy. In the midst of this attention, we cannot ignore that a life was taken from us ruthlessly and without justification or cause. Others were badly injured, and many more will carry this event with them for the rest of their lives. Nonetheless, I would encourage that hate be met with love. When I came face to face with the attacker, God gave me the eyes to see that he was not a faceless monster, but a very sad and troubled young man. And while I cannot at this time find it within me to forgive his crime, I truly desire that he will find the grace of God and forgiveness of our community. Mice received a standing ovation uh, when he graduated just six days after this event occurred. And the president of the university announced a, a scholarship in engineering would be established uh, in his name. But John never really viewed himself as a hero. We hold up as heroes our medical staff, doctors, nurses, and others who are doing things in the face of a pandemic, and they are truly doing heroic things, but if you ask them, they would not consider themselves heroes. In the Assemblies of God, we, we consider missionaries our, our greatest heroes. Kim and I have known some truly heroic missionaries and count them as our friends. I'll tell you about one couple named uh, uh, David and Julie, uh, and uh, they served for years in Afghanistan, first under the monarchy in the 70s, then following that under the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan. They were able to stay in the country, and then later under the Taliban, they were in Afghanistan and Pakistan at the time. And uh, actually, under the Taliban, um, they were allowed into the city of Jalalabad uh, outside of Kabul, and uh, they stayed there, but Julie was not allowed out of her house for five years. Like, they stayed there ministering the gospel and doing the work of the Lord for five years. But for five years, she was not allowed out of her home. And you would think that would drive her crazy, and, and she's a very gregarious, uh, uh, a very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just an extrovert, loves to be around people. And yet she wasn't allowed to fellowship with anyone because the Taliban said, we don't want this Christian woman to like, corrupt the morals of, uh, of Muslim women. And so I said Christian woman, right? Yeah, we don't want the Christian woman to corrupt the morals of, this, of the Muslim women. But she said, you know, God gave me such grace during that time. I had joy, I had peace, it was fine. It was like I'd been there only a day. And, uh, and people were touched as a result. Eventually, after many years of service, they did retire. David and Julie, among the service in Afghanistan and the work that they did there, they also, um, they also um, <laughs> uh, were incredible at encouraging people to serve among the unreached, specifically in the Muslim world and speci specifically in Afghanistan. I can count on, on, on all of my hands and toes the number of missionaries that I know that have served in Afghanistan or other places and have said, David and Julie, 
you know, basically guilted us into going. You know, it's like, what are you doing for the Lord and why aren't you serving him in these places? But uh, it's tremendous. So they retired, quote unquote, and he began to write. They still continued ministering to Muslims. Uh, and uh, they did, uh, you know, they still continued the work of the Lord. And then in their late 70s, just last, earlier this year, I should say, well, it happened actually last year. Last year, they were called up by some folks in, um, uh, in northern Iraq, in, in Kurdistan, and they said, can you come here and do ministry? And they were like, um, let's pray about it. And they prayed about it. The Lord said yes, so they said yes. They left. They were hoping to leave, uh, and then the pandemic hit, and they couldn't leave. And then uh, March of last year, they were able to get on a plane, get their visas, go to uh, Kurdistan. They've been there ever since. And uh, I got a text from David shortly after he got there, and he said, uh, thanks for your prayers. God is working in many wonderful ways here. Keep up your good work in getting others out into the harvest fields. I can't think of anyone, anything more important. If we got any more encouraged, he said, we would think we'd gone to heaven. I will have many good things to share with you in our next letter to you. And he did share many wonderful things. They're truly great people, David and Julie, and they are our personal heroes. But after years of knowing and loving them, we know that they're simply ordinary people from the Midwest that God uses, just used in extraordinary ways. The problem you see, with making missionaries heroes is that it somehow absolves us of following God into his great global harvest field. After all, we can't possibly serve God out there. We're just ordinary people. To that, I say, yes, you are ordinary people, so come and serve God in the global harvest with all of the rest of us ordinary people. Kim and I, as I said earlier, have led, and Pastor uh, uh, talked about a little earlier, have led many people to, to pursue a deeper walk into missions, not just overseas, but we also exhort people to get involved in the global mission of God because we all have a responsibility. And for the last several years, we've been on the, uh, the Eurasia leadership team, and, and much of what we did there was to try and figure out ways of getting more people working in the harvest field because the harvest is plentiful, but the works, workers are few. And in our part of the world, in Eurasia, we know that uh, profoundly because there's never enough people to share the gospel. Billions of people, 4,400 unreached people groups, 2,000 of those in India alone, and, uh, and not enough people. And we would come up with these strategies and, and ways to, you can go back a little bit. We're not there yet. There we go. Just stay there. Um, the, uh, uh, the, um, now, see, I've, I've, I've lost my, I shouldn't have even told him anything. Anyway, our regional director, Omar Byler, asked us, would you help to implement some of these strategies that we've helped develop? Because there's nobody, you guys did a good job in raising up people to serve in Central Eurasia. You, you grew 1,000% in, in, in 10 years. So uh, would you guys help us to do the same thing? in Eurasia, and so we prayed about it. We said yes, and we've been doing that since um, November of last year, so it'll be a year since we've been doing this. Um, and some of the things that we try to do is that, uh, and we've begun to do, is that we looked and we saw, and you can go to the next one now, we, uh, uh, we saw that uh, even though the Assemblies of God in the United States is 42% non-white, the most diverse um, movement 
or denomination in the U.S. is the Assemblies of God, and yet the Assemblies of God World Missions is only 8% non-white. So we began inviting more people of color to serve with us, people like Claire, and God's beginning to create a missionary body that looks more like the global body of Christ. We understood that uh, those people who know missionaries uh, are much more likely to serve in missions. So we started something that we called Eurasia Experience All Access. We enlisted our entire missionary body to invite people they knew, young and old, single and married, rich and poor, to explore God's call in their lives. And as a result, uh, uh, just Saturday was our second one, and in March was our first one. And we, they all gathered together online, and we explored together the, the potential call that might be on their life. And as a result, dozens of people have made application to serve overseas um, because they knew another missionary who asked them along and invited them. We knew that while short-term missions are an, a, a great step, they're wonderful, and we've got, you've got like four great trips to choose from in the next year here at Mount Hope. I encourage you to sign up for one of those, but not everybody can do that. So we created uh, virtual missions trips. And this is not just a Zoom call with missionaries. This is where you actually get to interact with people on the field. We send you an experience box so you can see, smell, taste, and touch uh, the area of the wor world that you be, you'll be in. And our next set of virtual missions trips is going to be on. It's basically a $25 short-term missions trip that you never have to get a, on a plane for or have a passport for. And our next set of trips is uh, in November. We'll be visiting three teams in the Muslim world. Three teams doing business as a platform, so it's a business as mission trip. That's the second trip. A third trip will be youth, will be focused on the youth. So we can't normally have youth in Eurasia, but uh, now we can virtually. Uh, and the fourth trip we're doing is going to be for Spanish language only. So if you know anyone who has Spanish as a first language, we encourage, and how they can participate in missions, we encourage you to have them sign up. It's only a $25 missions trip. And if you're interested in finding out more about that, uh, the ushers will have these cards as you walk out. So it's, again, it's been something that's been very, very helpful in helping people to engage in the global mission of God. So I know that you're up here saying that, um, you know, well, you've got nothing to say to me because I know that I'm not called uh, to serve overseas. Well, first of all, let me say, don't be too sure. But second of all, that's not the only thing I'm doing up here. What I'm here to do is to ask you, what's your ordinary, what's your next ordinary step forward? So I close with this. God is truly extraordinary, and he wants to use you, an ordinary person, for his extraordinary purposes. Does that mean that I believe everyone here is a missionary? Of course not. That would be silly. As the scripture said, for the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, but one body. And in another place, Paul says, so Christ gave the gift of the apostles or missionaries to the church. He gave the prophets and those who preached the good news. And he also gave the pastors and teachers as a gift to the church. He gave all these people so that they might prepare God's people to serve. Then the body of Christ will be built up. In other words, what we're saying is that we all have a part of the body. Some of us to be missionaries, some of us to be pastors, some of us to be teachers, some of us to prepare those who do the work of God. So what is 
your next step because everybody can do something. Has God called you to serve overseas, whether short-term or life? Claire went on a short-term trip and ended up spending two and a half years. But after that two and a half years, God said, you're done for now. That's okay. Is that you? But if that's not you, or at least not yet, then do you pray for missions? And if you don't, would you like to know how? Kim and I can help you be better equipped to do that. Do you give to God's global harvest? Next Sunday will be your faith opportunity to help participate financially in God's global harvest. The sad fact is that almost all of our money as Christians is spent on ourselves. And the little bit that we spend on God's kingdom is almost entirely spent in our own community. And the minuscule part of our giving that goes to God's work overseas goes almost entirely to those who have already heard the gospel. And this is not God's plan. This is why I'm encouraged to come to Mount Hope because he said, we want to focus our global giving on the places that have the least access to the gospel. Do you not understand missions at all? Or do you want to understand better? Then maybe you should join us on one of our virtual trips. They will change your heart, give you understanding, and teach you better how to serve the Lord. So I'm going to really close with this. You know what it means when a preacher says he's closing? No, but I really am. God is an extraordinary God, and he gave his son his very life so that the world could hear the message of hope and love that is the gospel. But then he turned to you and me, ordinary people, and he said, take this message to the world. We can't hide behind the lie that missions is only for extraordinary people. It is not. It's for you and for me. We all have a part to play. And that part may be to give and pray like uh, the 91-year-old lady that we met uh, at the Belmont campus, whose name escapes me right now, but she's been praying for missionaries for decades, but she needs people to join her in her prayers. Is that you? We've all got a part to play. There's no excuse. And when we obey the Lord and his directive to take the gospel to all the world, there will also be no regret. So as I close and close and, uh, as pastor closes us in prayer, I'm going to ask every one of you, no matter how young or old, remember Moses was 80 before God began to use him, to commit to doing something right now and to make that commitment this morning. Pastor. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for that call, the encouragement to hear what's going on around the world and the challenge for us today. Here's what uh, we're not here for in these three Sundays, these two weeks. Uh, we are not here to hear from people like Ed and just cheer them on and say, good job, glad you're doing it, now I don't have to do it. That's not, that's not what this is about. That's not what Global Outreach, that's not what Missions is about, not in the gospel and not here at Mount Hope. We are here to hear about what you're doing there and to encourage you and to support you because just like he shared from that Romans chapter 10, if, if, they don't, if no one sends them, they cannot go. And so we partner with people around the globe who need to be sent, who God has called to go to a place where the gospel needs to be shared and there's no church there to support them and there are no Christians there to support them, but because we think it's important that they hear the gospel, we will support them to go. So that's what we do. But then we're also here to hear what we're supposed to do, that we have a role.
to play as well. You know, sometimes when my phone buzzes in my pocket, and it's for you too, you know, you don't know. It could be that general text message. You know, there's 10 other people on it, and you just look at it, and you're like, oh, yeah, information. Or sometimes it's that individual text message, right? Someone sending you, and they want to talk to you, and they want, they have something that needs to be said to you directly. And this morning's a little bit of both. I think there's a general text message to the church. Just remember, God has called you that in your going, wherever you are, your workplace, your school, your job, your home, your family, your neighborhood, that God is leading you just like he led Claire, just like he led these other missionaries, and sometimes he's going to lead you to go on to a place or, or a person that you didn't even realize you were supposed to go on to, and he's leading you to go there. Just like, well, why don't you stay in Istanbul? There's plenty of need here because the Spirit of God is leading me someplace else. I believe God's going to lead you that way in your family relationships, in your workplaces, in your schools, with your friends, that, that you'll find yourself being led to a conversation or a place where God wants you to share. But then some of you are getting an individual text message this morning in such a way that God's saying, I've called you. I'm calling you to go. You're one of those that, that I've called to leave your home and to go to another country or go to another part of the world and to go and serve where God has called you to. And you don't maybe know what that next step is. But that's okay. You just need to be obedient and listen to that voice right now. And we'll help you find the next step. And I believe God will lead you to that next step. So as the team sings this song, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm just going to ask you to consider what Ed said. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. What's your next step? What's your next step? Would you be bold enough as we begin this song, as James begins to sing, would you be bold enough to say, Lord, I'm listening. I want to hear what you have to say to me. Because I know what it is with missions. You know, I, it, it's hard because you're like, oh, I'm afraid God is going to say this to me. And I don't want God to say that to me. I don't want God to send me there. God is going to move your heart. If God's sending you someplace, your heart's going to go there first. Your heart's going to go there first. So don't worry about God sending you someplace or asking you something you don't want to do. You, God's going to move your heart before he moves your feet. So would you be bold enough and courageous enough to just say, Lord, I'm listening. What's the next step for me? What's the next step for me? Going on one of these virtual trips, praying, giving, um, maybe just having a conversation with someone who's gone, or maybe going up to Ed or Chuon or myself after service and just saying, I know God's calling me to go, and I don't know what the next step is, but would you pray with me? Lord, speak. Holy Spirit, speak to us, Lord. I believe there are people in this room, Lord, God, who are, uh, Lord, incredibly gifted and skilled, ordinary people. But you have them set apart for an extraordinary mission, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in the places you have us. Show us how you want us to be a part of your mission. And then, Lord, those that are in this room that you're calling to be a part to go, to set apart and to go someplace. Lord, would you speak clearly to us now? Lord, we give this to you. We ask you to lead us in Jesus' name.